welcome back to our story. I'm glad you've joined us for yet another week, and I'm excited about today, as I am every week, because we have a little bit different group today. So joining me this uh, this episode is Dr. Phil Schrader, Reverend Kathy Brockman, and Reverend Calissa Dodderman. And my name is Matt Stone. So welcome back to our story. Here's what's going on this week. We're in the second week of a joyful embrace, and we are headed towards Philippians chapter 2. We talked about Philippians chapter 1 last week, and if you didn't get a chance to listen either to last week's podcast or the message from last week, I hope you'll go back and do that before you listen to the rest of this episode. But before we move on to Philippians 2, I want to spend some time talking about something that we touched on touched on last week, and we'll touch on for at least one more week after this. But um, I want to talk a little bit about how we read the Bible. I think a lot of people assume that everybody else knows how to read the Bible and that they're the only one who doesn't have a clue what it means to read the Bible. And if you, if you catch my drift, that means that all of us are sitting around thinking everybody else knows more than we do. So if you are one of those people who has thought for a long time, gosh, I want to read the Bible, I just don't know where to start. Or maybe you are new to this faith thing in general, and you've never had the opportunity or the invitation to read Scripture. I want to spend some time talking specifically to you. And by the way, if you're one who already reads Scripture a lot, I think it's never a bad time to reconsider foundations, right? It's never a bad time to go back to some basic good practices and disciplines in reading scripture. So I want to talk about practical reading, and I want to talk about how uh, particularly new people can begin reading scripture. Kathy, Calissa, I want to start with one of you. Where do you start? Uh, As you have had conversations with people in the past, and even in your own devotional reading of scripture, where do you think is a good place to begin reading the Bible? I can say that one of the things I recommend to people who are just starting out is to find something like reading through the Bible in a year. It, I mean, even if you don't take it day by day, it lays out reading through the Bible on a daily basis, certain scripture to read each day or books, whatever it is, and you get through the Bible in a year. It's a lot to read, but it is at least a place to start. And it's concrete. Yeah. So, Kathy, are you talking about a specific plan or are there multiples of those plans? Assume I know nothing about this. Okay. I would say there are multiples of those plans. Okay. We can find them for anybody that wants them. Or you can also Google them. You can Google anything. Yeah. Um, There are apps on the phone. The Bible, I think the Ormus Bible app has a plan to read through the Bible. So there are multiple ways to find that. So I like that a lot, Kathy, because that's uh, that's a particular kind of reading where you're just trying to get a sense of the larger narrative. And I think there's a lot of folks who have been in the church for a long time who still struggle with that larger narrative. Yes. That would be a great way to get a sense of kind of the grand arc, the narrative arc of Scripture, is to try to read through it in a year. I love that. Calissa, what are you thinking? Yeah, um, but I have to say that even sounds a little bit intimidating, it is, I think. Absolutely. So, yeah, so I think that I would have... Two, two kind of suggestions, and one of them piggybacks off of what you're saying, Kathy, to find a daily devotional that can kind of accompany your reading. I know there are many to be had that have a little bit of interpretation along with a scripture reading for you to read every, every day. Um, a really brief good one that comes to mind for me is a book called Bread for the Journey. I believe that's 
Henry now and um, and it's every day it's like a little reflection and a little scripture reading um, so you don't have to feel like you're alone in that reading and it's something that's easily digestible and can help you at least begin to kind of widen your your biblical literacy um, the other thing I would suggest is if you are sitting down to crack open your Bible um, even for the first time, even if it's not the first time, but the first time in a long time, um, I would say don't start at the beginning. Amen. Just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't don't just open up and read, you know, creation and Genesis. Um, there are there are, I think, a lot of different guidelines for how to start. I know a lot of folks who say, like, start with the Gospels first and read backwards. Um, I tend to think, and this might just be because of my my personal focus and interest, that Psalms are a really good place to start. Because most of us are familiar with poetry or familiar with songs, and we can kind of understand them as a genre in a way that we maybe don't understand some of the other, you know, historical parts of the Bible or or some of the, you know, more more esoteric <laughs> books of the Bible. Um, just like pick a psalm. It's full of re- relatable content. Every psalm is speaking directly to a human experience, and it's telling us a little bit about ourselves and a little bit about God, and I think is a good way to start getting yourself into the biblical mindset so that you can start going deeper. Good question. That's a really interesting place to begin, Clis. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know that I've heard somebody suggest that, but it makes all kinds of sense. It's a songbook of the people, and so you you read from there. The other thing I want to suggest is you version. Uh, if you want to pick mm-hmm. up an app, Uversion is an yeah. app that gives right. copious uh, Bible reading plans. I've used several over the years. And the great thing about that is you can do it with an accountability partner. You can have somebody who you pick a plan and you read it together and you both get on the same schedule. I've done that before with people. My wife and a friend uh, do that most every year. They read through things. But I want to argue to start with Mark. Okay. Start why? with... Because... Why? It's the easiest gospel to get through. You can get through it quickly. Uh, there's, there's not. It's like just the facts, just the facts. I mean, yeah. it's and immediately the next thing happens. So I think a, a really easy place to start that won't take long and you won't get bogged down is the Gospel of Mark. It's pretty action-packed, action-oriented, and it gets you through the arc of the Jesus story pretty quickly. So tell me one step further, Phil. Uh, let's say I open the Gospel of Mark. Uh, I managed to find it somewhere in the back of my back half of my Bible, and I begin reading the first couple chapters of Mark. What do you want me to do with it? Am, am I just reading through, and uh, and when I get to the end of the chapters, I'm done with it? What, what is it that I can do with that content that I'm reading to help me begin to engage the Bible in a in a way that's gonna form me and shape shape me? I think some of it is uh, partly just letting the text flow over you. And sometimes there's power uh, in just reading the words and getting familiar with the story. So if I was just starting out from the very beginning, there there's a chance to get familiar with the story. Uh, <clears throat> as time goes on, I might think through some of the healing stories that happen in Mark and uh, what does that healing have to do with me? Um, I've talked before about looking at Mark and how does the ill person approach Jesus? Uh, how does Jesus heal and what does Jesus heal? Are some really good questions when you look at the healing stories in Mark. 
Uh, I really liked what you did the other day in our Best Man Bible Study. You took one phrase about someone going to the other side, Jesus taking the disciples over to the other side and letting that verse echo in such a way that made all of us think about where the other sides are in our life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like that. It, it, I like that because it, it kind of makes me think about choose your own adventure. Yeah. And so one of the things that I want to, that I really want to emphasize, and I hope you're starting to pick this up, is that there is not a way to read the Bible. There is not a right way to begin reading the Bible. And there are all kinds of different ways and places to begin uh, so that you can have a meaningful experience with this. And I would encourage you to try a couple different things and just experiment with that. And if something doesn't work, it doesn't mean you're broken, right? It doesn't mean that you're the only person on the face of the planet who doesn't get it. What it means is keep looking. Keep looking for a different way to begin reading Scripture. Uh, I, I, for one, am drawn towards narrative and story. I stay more engaged in story. So I I, I tend to uh, pick a gospel as a starting place rather than a letter of Paul. Uh, Paul is very interesting. He's very technical. He's very intricate. He's very inspirational as well and challenging and all of that good stuff. But uh, when I'm reading a narrative, i got to know how it ends. And so that's why I love starting with a gospel. That's also why I love, and this is maybe an unconventional place to start, but I love First and Second Samuel mm-hmm. because it's the story of David. Oh, yeah. And I think if you have ever been around church for any extended period of time, even as a child, you're familiar with a fair number of those stories. And to start there in First Samuel and read through the life of David, there will be enough contact points with things that you're familiar with. Think David and Goliath, right? There'll be enough of those kind of stories that you can start to piece together. But all that said, there's not a place to start. We just want to encourage you to take the first step. So uh, if you're one of those who's thought for a long time, gosh, I wish I read the Bible more. Stop waiting. Stop waiting for the silver bullet. Stop waiting for just the right time. There's not going to be the perfect time. You're not going to do it perfectly the first time. It's okay. Just take the first step and uh, and see where it takes you. And we hope that this format is helping you uh, and, and hopefully encouraging you to do exactly that. And Matt, I would throw out to you that if they want to know a great Bible translation or something, to reach out to any of us and uh, be happy to help them find something that speaks to them. Yeah, you're stealing my thunder for next week, sorry, Kathy. That's okay. Sorry. No, I think that's a great point. One of the things that we want to talk about next week is... Well, which Bible am I reading? Got it. And, uh, and so I think that's a, a great segue to next week. And uh, that, that's always an interesting conversation. So I appreciate that. Uh, okay, so we're going to move now to Philippians chapter 2. We, we, uh, uh, Phil covered Philippians 1 last week. We're going to move into Philippians chapter 2, which frankly is one of the mo- contains one of the most famous passages in the New Testament, one of the most talked about and studied passages in the New Testament. And I'll say up front, this is an intimidating passage to preach, uh, at least for me, because there is so much jam-packed in there. And so th- that's what I mean by it being intimidating is how do you choose a direction? But uh, we want to just start at the beginning and see where this thing takes us. Phil, as, as, uh, as Paul begins writing what you and I know is Philippians chapter 2, what stands out to you in these opening verses? Well, for me, before we even get to the Christ hymn <clears throat> that uh, takes uh, 
Christ Jesus as part of God on high and comes to earth and empties himself. There is a lot in the beginning here. And I think that to skip over this and move into that, uh, you're missing some very rich, rich reflection here. It begins with an if statement. Um, Some even think of it as four if statements. If there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation from love, if there's any sharing in the spirit, if there's any compassion and sympathy. And really what I feel like Paul is trying to do is call things back to memory for you. Remember, remember. And in remembering that helps us to understand more fully our current situation and his current situation. His current situation is that he is imprisoned. And I've been working with the phrase this week, may he not be defined by his confinement, but refined by his confinement. Unpack that a little bit, Phil. I like it. Well, when we're imprisoned, when we're stuck in our homes, when we're stuck behind a mask, there's this sense that we start to let that dictate everything that we do. Hmm. And uh, someone said that the isolation that some people are feeling is killing them as well. Hmm. I talked to a friend this week, and he is doing a communion service without any elements. An empty-handed communion. Have you ever heard of that? No. No. And he said they're doing empty-handed communion. Uh, Reuben Job shared it. Uh, they're doing empty-handed communion to really think through what communion is and not have it be based on any physical elements. Imagine being in jail and not having access to juice and bread. And so there was a group of people who experienced the ritual without even being able to share in physical bread and a physical cup. And someone observed them doing this and said, I want that. I want mm-hmm. what you have. The mm-hmm. idea that, that you can find meaning even in what looks to someone else like nothing. Oh, man, that gets me really excited. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I really love that idea of having to kind of be faced with I mean, it, it's essentially a creative challenge, right? Um, it's not just a challenge of faith, but a, a challenge for us to move beyond, I think, some of the confines of our intellect and into a space where we see with our hearts. Mm. Um, I think so much our our experiences, particularly around worship, I think get really hung up in particulars right? Um, We want things to be exactly the way we want them to be. Um, I mean, I share this. (laughs) This is not a condemnation. We all, we like what we like. Um, But the truth of of our situation now um, is that we can't always have exactly what we want. And so it kind of forces us to boil it down to what is it that matters? What is it that we can draw from within ourselves and from the world around us and from the Holy Spirit that allows us to continue to experience community and continue to experience um, praise and continue to experience growth as followers of Jesus? Yeah, I would agree with that. I think we've been slowed down by the situation that we're in, that it's causing us, hopefully, to really um, seek out some of 
more of the meaning of things. Um, and in communion, I think we, we get so used to saying the same words over and over again that we don't really pay attention to what the real meaning is in them. And so, I mean, I love the idea of doing it without the elements and just being a real time of, as Calissa said, feeling it and knowing it with your heart. And that's I what I think that. refinement is. Yeah. Refinement is, is pulling away the impurities is is trying to get at the essence of what is most important. And I think that's what Paul is trying to remind the Philippian people of, is they have concentrated on some things that were not the most yeah. important. And they're pretty good as a church compared to some of the ones that he writes right, to. Right. I mean, they're, they're doing pretty well. Now, he names some people by name in this letter, <laughs> but uh, they're, they're doing pretty well. But I love this phrase, make my joy complete. Mm. And the other thing I've been reflecting on this week is what does incomplete joy look like? That's a good question. You got an answer? No? Yeah, I I don't know uh, how exactly I would characterize incomplete joy, Phil. I I don't know that I've I've thought about it. I I mean, I think what Paul is after is, um, look, because of everything that we share in common, Right, because we all are encouraged, because we all have been consoled, because we all do share in the spirit, and because we've all experienced compassion and sympathy from each other, I think he's driving at a total, at, at, at a depth of joy that's brought about by unity. And and so what he goes on to say is, be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one and of one mind. And I think it's this is one of those really tricky statements to me. Because it's beautiful. And I get caught up in the beauty of it. Mm -hmm. And I think, oh, isn't that nice? Uh, And isn't that a sweet thought? But if I pause on it for a a second or two too long, then my secondary response is, are you serious? Be of the same mind, agree with each other on everything? Yeah. Are are you serious, Paul? Yeah. Like, do you, have you met a human being before? much less a group of them, you want us to have the same mind being in full accord, and he says again, of one mind? Because so you hadn't been imprisoned, and you don't get it. Well, so when Paul talks about making his joy complete by having that kind of unity, I think, well, Paul, you're kind of toast, my friend. Like, your joy's not going to be complete, because we're talking about people here. But that's where the refinement comes in, Matt, right? Because, yeah, absolutely, right? We, we are all of separate minds, but... Not if our focus is in the right place, right? Because there is a point at which, you know, and God hope we, you know, reach this point at some point as flawed humans. But, like, there is a point at which all of our focus on Christ and on the kingdom of God allows us to focus then on that one singular goal, one singular thing, and not have to, and not get bogged down in the other ways that we could pick at each other. Mm. Now, granted, you know, there there's a lot to be said about how we achieve the kind of God's dream for us, right, that would cause folks to argue. But I think that for Paul, there is no question about that. Like, he seems to be at least, I, I don't know, he at least is seems to think that it's possible for us to be aligned with one goal. And that's, I think, what he's really talking about by being of one mind. How could we possibly be aligned, Clissa? How could we possibly do that? 
Because Jesus. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, Phil, I don't know if that's where you're headed. Uh, but that, that seems very much to me to be exactly on point with where Paul's headed. Is If you want me to be of the same mind with you, that's not going to happen if the thing I care most about is you thinking like me mm-hmm. and me being right. All the time. It's got to be an outwardly turned mm-hmm. conversation. And by which I mean turned out of myself and toward a common focus, exactly like Calissa just said. And and that's the anatomy of peace work we're doing on Wednesday nights, which is trying to get out of our box Mm -hmm. and the box which limits us and makes it about us. What I think that Paul's trying to do here is to say, step out of your have to be right box and stand in front of this beautiful backdrop that is consolation and love, sharing in spirit, compassion and sympathy, all the things that you just talked about, and stand in front of that backdrop. And when that backdrop is taking up the whole stage, you begin to have a sense of awe and of otherness that takes you out of yourself, that empties you from yourself. And one of our church members came to visit me this week, and we were having a spirited conversation about politics, Mm. of all things. Mm -hmm. And he said, I don't want agreement. I want growth. Mm. He's asking for agreement in the mind of Christ. But if you will do everything you can to be of the same mind and have the same love as Christ has for us, then you will grow. It will push you. Whatever position you have landed on. Absolutely. That's not easy work. Right. And, you know, one of the things that this Christ him does for us is kind of expand upon that idea of being, of having the same mind um, that was in Christ Mm -hmm. Jesus, right? Like, what is it about Jesus that we want to emulate? Or what is it about Jesus that we find to be exceptional? What is it that we are to strive for? And um, that's what the hymn does, right? It lays out all of the things that Christ did that, that we want to honor and reflect the humble servant. Mm-hmm. That's what we would like to be. I go back to that whole um, thing in the early, I guess it was 90s, the what would Jesus do? Oh, yeah. Somebody's brought that back up again. Just the other day I was talking to somebody. It's like that. what would Jesus think? Or what would Jesus think, yeah. Yeah, what would Jesus think about today? What's going on in the world? It's interesting, isn't it, right? Paul's encouragement in verse 3 is that the community do nothing out of selfish ambition, right? Which is um, uh, driving towards some goal that's oriented toward myself, uh, nor should we do anything out of conceit. Which means empty glory. Conceit means empty glory. Yeah, the word in Greek is that do nothing out of for empty glory. Love that. Mm-hmm. Oh, say more mm-hmm. about that. That's interesting. Um, I just ran across it as uh, as uh, understanding of what was going on in the Greek here is that, um, as I said, I'm not a Greek scholar, but I love that idea that conceit is um, we, we tend to do things for glory, uh, but glory that is focused on self is empty glory. Uh, and the Christ hymn is about us glorifying what Christ has done not self-glorification. Interesting. Yeah, so Paul is encouraging the community, encouraging us to do nothing out of selfish ambition or empty glory, but in humility, regard others as better than yourselves, right? This is the admonition, the exhortation, the encouragement at the beginning of Philippians 2. 
But that encouragement or admonition is in the context of Jesus's identity and work. And that's what uh, Paul turns to next in in this uh, just incredibly famous passage um, uh, that, uh, Phil, you alluded to it earlier. That it's called the Christ Hymn. A lot of conversation about whether Paul wrote this or he's drawing on, or on an earlier tradition. Either way, this is one of the earliest and most profound and succinct descriptions of the person and work of Jesus. And he offers it as... This is why we do nothing out of selfish ambition. This is why we regard we this is why we regard others as better than ourselves because look at who Jesus is. Look at what Jesus did. So, Phil, take us through a little bit of the Christ hymn. Uh, and if you're following along or if you need to pause and go read it, this is Philippians chapter 2. Starts in verse 5 and continues on through verse 11. Uh, Phil, what stands out to you about this uh, beautifully written passage from Paul? I think that um, they call it a V-shaped Christology. Uh, they, there's this sense of you, you leaving the heaven, the divine realm, and coming down, all the way down, obedience unto death. And the only way that you can do that is to empty yourself. God and God's fullness can't get there. So God has to empty God's self in order to be able to reach humanity. It's kind of like I was saying on Sunday is that until I enter into their suffering, they won't listen. And so God and God's fullness can't come to us. So God empties God's self to come to us. Um, it's kind of hard to get your head around. Yeah, it is. Kathy, um, I know this is a passage you've interacted with in the past. Is there a, a particular verse or phrase that stands out to you about who Jesus is? You know, the whole thing about um, emptying himself or not, or, or not, he didn't consider being equal with God something to exploit. I, I just can't even imagine how that, how, first of all, I can't wrap this human brain around that First, for Jesus. I can't wrap this human brain around that for me and for you. I don't know how that works. So I really struggle with that. It's so interesting that you bring that phrase up. That's one, as I was getting ready for today, that's one that I paused on as well. That's a phrase I paused on as well. Because I happen to think, you know, all of us have been given gifts and God has blessed all of us in different ways. But those blessings and those gifts are always for a purpose, right? Mm-hmm. God uh, makes us good community. He gives us the gift of, uh, of being good communicators or compassionate people so that we can communicate the gospel, so that we can be compassionate in the world. And it makes me think about the example that was set out for us, right? That Jesus um, is equal with God, and he sees that as... Um, as having a purpose that is not about even himself. Right. 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 Th- that That is, um, he uses that for our sake and not his own sake. And it's such a profound example that I skip over mm-hmm. <laughs> pretty often. Mm-hmm. And, and Paul won't let us. He won't yep. let us skip over that. Calissa, is there is there a, a phrase or a passage that sticks out to you from the Christ hymn? Um. Well, I mean, I, I think that that concept of emptying has always been one that 
um, always kind of punches me in the gut too. Um, I think when I first studied this passage kind of academically, um, I, I'm sure that it was taught to me as the Christ hymn, but it always stuck in my head as the kenosis hymn. Um, kenosis being the Greek word that um, gets translated here as, as emptying. Um, and so to me, that is the crux of this whole, <laughs> this whole thing, right? That um, Jesus was able to shed the things that should have made him I don't know. Um, special is too small a word. Um, like exempt is not the word I'm thinking about really. But um, I mean, he sheds his divinity, claims his humanity, and then in claiming his humanity, lives fully into his mm-hmm. divinity, um, which is such a it's, it's such an important thing for us to think about. I think a lot of times. Like, for me, this is important because what it does is claim the divinity of Christ and the humanity of Christ, um, which is one of those things that we, as Christians, I think kind of know is very important to our theology, but seldom really dwell on very much. Um, I think a lot of folks, when they think about the Trinity, it's kind of like, well, you've got God, and then like a little step underneath, you've got Jesus, and then a little step underneath, you've got the Holy Spirit. And in reality, like... No, Christ is God. God is Christ. <laughs> like mm-hmm. there is all the same thing. Um, and anytime Scripture asserts that, I I get really into that. So that's a, another take on basically saying I I like mm-hmm. the same thing Kathy likes. <laughs> and what we do <clears throat> is that we spend our days and our work trying to fill our time and fill our homes with busyness and stuff. And Paul has had all that taken away. And so in a time of emptiness himself, he's able to see the fullness of Christ. And for us, when we're so full, it's hard to put anything else in. And so it takes times of emptying that become the times that refine us. I like what you're doing with this text in that way a lot, Phil, because like I said earlier, I'm drawn to narrative and Paul's letters are not narrative. They're not narratives, but that doesn't mean that they didn't take place within a context of real life. And for us to consider the ways in which Paul's confinement, um, may speak to our own sense of confinement in COVID time, uh, helps me to engage these words on a different level. Uh, I, I can I can put myself in Paul's place, just as you suggested, and begin thinking about how I might reflect on uh, who God is calling me to be and also who Jesus is. Uh, and because of who Jesus is, who does that make me? Who does that make me? So I, I love what you're up to with that. Uh, toward, towards the end, you know, I think Paul says, you know, therefore, right? And uh, as you've said a, a few times, Phil, anytime there is a, a therefore or a so that, I think we've got to pay attention in a serious way. Because of who Jesus is, therefore, 
God also highly exalts him and gives him the name that is above every name. This is such familiar language for some Mm -hmm. of us and new for some of us too. But uh, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend and every tongue should confess, right? Every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth. So that's interesting. Mm -hmm. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One of the questions that I want to think about is what, what might we, what do we think it means for our knees to bend and for our tongues to confess? What does that mean in, in our cultural moment, right? Given everything that's happening right now, what does it mean for us as 21st century Christians living in northern Atlanta, uh, what does it mean for our knees to bend and for our tongue to confess? That's a good question, Matt. Do you want an answer or do you want to let that like <laughs> linger rhetorically for our listeners? I mean, I'm always kind of driven towards the practical. I, I, I really think about, and this is what stopped me, I don't have a, necessarily a ready answer to it. I just thought, well, wait a minute. If, if Paul is telling us all of this about Jesus so that our knees will bend and our tongues will confess that Jesus is Lord. Mm-hmm. Well, how do I enact the so that? Mm. What does that therefore look like in my own life? That, that's really why I'm asking is trying to figure out what does that mean for me? So when I think about the knees bending, I think about prayer. I think about um, uh, submission mm-hmm. and the confession that, that Christ is Lord, that I don't have control over any of this. It's not mine. And I need to give it. Okay. Where okay. it belongs. Yeah. And before you make a Facebook post, before you add your fuel to the fire of the vitriol that you hear today, what would it mean for you to bow before God and confess Jesus' name as Lord and Savior and let that mind of Christ in you speak your next word? Mm, nice. Yeah, that's good. I, I I can't help but wondering if, for me, it circles back to the emptying of self and the humbling of myself. Right? If I'm going to bend the knee, if I'm going to, if if every knee should bend, uh, including my own, because Jesus is Lord, that means I am not. And so that that fundamentally changes the posture that I take toward everybody else. Well, it, it doesn't just mean that, that you are not. It, it means that all of the other things that we allow to fill our lives are, are also Good. not Lord. Like, like what? I don't know. Uh, like, no offense, no offense, Phil, but uh, our bosses are not our Lord. Our, our paychecks are not our Lord. <laughs> right. Our, um, you know... Our parents-in-law or the politicians that we listen to, those are not our Lord. Jesus Christ is our Lord. Um, and and our, our confession of that needs to be something greater and something more impactful in our lives than just, like, joining the Jesus team and wearing the Jesus jersey. Like, you know, I'm, I'm not here to just kind of, like, boost the name of Christianity, right? I'm, I'm here to try to follow the example of Christ, to let the same mind be in me that was in Christ Jesus, to learn how to be humble so that, you know, hopefully others might be exalted as well. And there are two pieces of that. Yeah. There's the emulating Mm -hmm. and there is the empowering piece of 
what that emptying does to empower us to be able to, uh, if you want practical, uh, you can't be so full of yourself if you bend your knee, if you are on your knees humbly. It's hard to be as full of yourself. Yeah, I think that's good. I, I mean, I, I can't help but wonder whether this is whether Paul's driving us back towards unity, right? If we are all then uh, on bended knee, right? If we all uh, are confessing together that Jesus is Lord, then it's harder for us to spend time fighting each other. And incomplete joy is when you're almost there, is that my whole family is together for Thanksgiving, and there's just this joy as a father for everybody to be gathered in that place. But there's an underlying current of disunity mm-hmm. that allows the joy not to be complete. And I think that's where Paul is in this. So what's the path forward for him? Uh, the path forward for him is calling people to put their focus on Christ and not their focus on those things that don't matter in the scheme of things when you're sitting in a jail cell and you're stripped down to only the essentials. I I think that's a powerful, I think it's a powerful uh, point of reflection. And I think it's a powerful message from Paul that is so uniquely relevant to this very moment. Uh, Maybe, maybe it's never been more important. I'm sure there've been times where it is as important but maybe it's never been more important for us to hear this passage through that particular lens. Phil, Kathy, Calissa, thanks for your time. This has been fun as always. I hope you all have enjoyed listening as well. Looking forward to being back with you again next week on Our Story. Thanks for listening to the Our Story podcast from Dunwoody United Methodist Church. Visit us online at dunwoodyumc.org and join us for online worship every Sunday morning. This Sunday, October 11th, we'll also have outdoor worship at 8.45 a.m. and 11.22 a.m. in the DOMC parking lot, or at a new time at 5 p.m. on the ball field. We hope you'll join us and add your story to ours.